This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you especially that you don't leave us alone to, to try to figure out your word, but you pour out your spirit to us to make your words known to us. And thank you for that this morning. As we open your Bible, we count on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 14, verse one, this is where we are. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist, he is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, it's not lawful for thee to have her. And when she would have put him, sorry, when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. She being before instructed of her mother said, give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. The king was sorry, nevertheless for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her, and he sent and beheaded John in the prison, and his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And the disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Okay, now we come to chapter 14 here, and immediately we're told that what happened here, which was the beheading of John the Baptist, was we're told something about that first three words when it says, at that time, at that time. So what happened to John the Baptist, this beheading here, happened, it's tying us back to the end of chapter 13, where those in the synagogue, because the Lord Jesus had come from a, a family that was not important in Israel because he, did, he, he was not a student of an important rabbi because he came from a city that was definitely not important, Nazareth. Because all these things, they took offense, the religious leaders took offense at Jesus and 
It was very hard for him because his heart was actually breaking for the people because of their unbelief. Their unbelief had tied his hands. That's the last verse in chapter 13, verse 58, where it says, he did not mighty works there because of their unbelief. They were to blame for being left in their same miserable state of being far from God. And it really hurt the Lord because he, he had visualized in his heart how things could have been so different. Wasn't happy with this at all. This hurt the Lord Jesus, and you get a measure of how much his heart was hurt over this when you read Psalm 81. Because in Psalm 81, in verse eight, Psalm 81, eight, Jehovah Jesus in this case is speaking to his people and he's giving this great another Shema in Psalm 81, eight, where he says, hear, O my people, Shema, Ami, hear, O my people, and I will testify unto thee, O Israel, if thou wilt hearken unto me. There shall no strange God be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, I will fill it, and here comes the sadness. But my people would not hearken to my voice. Israel would none of me. So I gave them up into their own hearts lest, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should have soon subdued their enemies, turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, and their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. So these are the verses here that show us the heart of the Lord Jesus that we wanted to do so much for them and instead it didn't happen that way. It was so sad. He, and, and in this passage here, it's interesting in Psalm 81, he goes back to Egypt, back to Egypt and he tells them in verse, and he tells them in verse nine, there has to be no strange God in you he says, if you just would have opened your mouth wide, I would have filled it. And then, he, and then he goes back to Egypt. He says, you saw how I delivered from Egypt. But really what he was saying there was that you saw what I did in Egypt, but you ain't seen nothing yet. He said, there's so much more that I want to show you, but it all depends on how wide you open your mouth. How wide you open your mouth, because that's going to determine how much I, I fill you. Really? He's saying here what we've seen before in Matthew 9.29, Matthew 9.29, when he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith. It all depends on how much faith you have in me, and the more faith you place in me, the more you'll experience my goodness. It's all about what man will experience, we will experience with God, according to your faith, be it unto thee. And this last verse in chapter 13 is so important because it's really, it says he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. It was because of their lack of faith that they didn't experience the many mighty works that he wanted to do for them. You know, there's a verse which is oftentimes quoted, when Moses first met God at the burning bush, God told Moses in Exodus 3.10, Exodus, this all happened in Exodus 3, and in Exodus 3.10, when God, when he saw the burning bush, he met God for the first time, Moses. Then he got his commission in Exodus 3.10, where God said, come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. 
So at that point, Moses understood that God was sending him to Pharaoh, to the Jewish people really, with a message of let's go. We're getting ready to go. God's gonna bring, bring us out of this miserable land of Egypt. And so as Moses was thinking about this, he's processing this as God told him this is what he's gonna have to do. Moses is visualizing himself going to the Jewish people and he's anticipating what the Jewish people are gonna do and he, he knows they're gonna ask a question. And the question is, who is that? Exactly, which God is that? So he says, he asks God a question right off of the bat in Exodus 3.13. Exodus 3.13, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you, they shall say to me, what's his name? What is his name? What shall I say unto them? So Moses is asking God, look, um, uh, God, I, I really don't know you. It's the first time we're really meeting each other here at this burning bush here. I mean, I just met you today at this burning bush and I really can't say from my own experience who you are. And you know, they're gonna ask me who you are. And I don't know what to say because I don't know who you are. And so tell me, what's your name? And then I'll tell them, the Jewish people, this is who you are by your name. So what's your name? And then the Lord gave to Moses this famous answer in Exodus 3.14, Exodus 3.14, where God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Now, that's a very confusing answer. What do you mean, I am that I am? What do you mean? I am that I am, I was that I was? What does that mean, I am that I am? Well, in order to understand what God said to them by revealing himself to them as I am, as I am that I am, you have to understand in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, there's no such thing as a future tense. There's no present tense, there's no future tense for the verb to be which is the word that's used here. And that means that what God was saying when he said, I am that I am, is the same in Hebrew as saying, I will be what I will be. That's the same meaning here. Now, if you look at that answer in that context, I will be what I will be, then it all becomes about what they will experience with God. Take, for example, this verse here in Matthew 3, um, Matthew 13, 58, the verse we're talking about, the last verse in Matthew 13. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Okay, so because of their unbelief, the Lord became for them the God that did not many mighty works there. Now, on the other hand, if they had faith, if they had belief in Jesus, then he would have become the God who did many mighty works for them. So the name, I am that I am, really I will be what I will be, is really a statement of, I will be what you want me to be according to your faith. If you want me to be an abstract, religious God of traditions, and then I will be that because you won't put any faith in me. On the other hand, if you want to me to be a living reality, helping you in every aspect of life, then I'll be that to you. It's all determined by verse 58, by your belief or unbelief. And this is what God meant when he said in, in Exodus 3.14, when he said to Moses, I am that I am, I will be what I will be. He said, that's what you have to tell the children of Israel. It's kind of like a you ain't seen nothing yet, but you can, depending on your belief. 
If they wanted to, God to be great in their lives, then God would be great in their lives if they believed into God. I will be what I will be according to your faith. If they wanted God to not be great in their lives, just leave them alone, and, and they wanted to cling to their unbelief, as in this last verse in chapter 13, verse 58, I will be what I will be according to your unbelief. And that's true on an individual basis as well. God will be for a person according to their belief or unbelief. You know, this last week I was discussing with a rabbi, with my friend, the rabbi, about who God is. I say that Jesus Christ is God. He says Jesus Christ is not God. So I was telling him that I believe that Jesus Christ is God, and I've seen in my life Jesus Christ do many mighty works that show me that he's God. And so he wrote me, he wrote me in an email, he said, everything you write is based on preconceived notions. You have a picture of God, G space D, and says he writes it, and the Bible in your mind, and that's it. Everything you write is totally your emotional feelings about how G dash D, God, and the Bible is. Well, the issue is that if a person believes that Jesus Christ is God, then he will see that Jesus Christ is God, and he did mighty works in his life. But if a person does not believe that Jesus Christ is God, then it's going to be verse 58. Matthew 13, 58, he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So what God is really saying in verse 58 is that you prime the pump with faith. If you don't prime the pump with faith, then the pump is not gonna produce any water for you. But if you prime the pump with faith, then it's gonna be a John 4, 14, John 4, 14. Whosoever drinketh this water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So there's great implications to this verse 58 at the end of chapter 13, because you can see two words, there's really two words that you can use to understand. It's the word see and believe, see and believe. And the order of those two words is all important. Faith puts believe before the word see as believe and see. Uh, which was what the Lord said in the famous resurrection of Lazarus, chapter John eleven forty. John eleven forty. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou should see the glory of God. The order is believe and see in John eleven forty. If thou wouldst believe, thou should see. You prime the pump with faith, you'll get water. That's faith. Believe first, then you'll see. That's what faith is, believe and see, believe and see. It goes that way. On the other hand, unbelief is the opposite order. It's see and believe. It's, uh, from, where was it, Arkansas? I forgot the state, you know. Oklahoma, yeah, Oklahoma, yeah, anyway. Yeah, Oklahoma, <laughs> don't live in Oklahoma. It's the state of unbelief, no, I'm just kidding. All right, unbelief is see and believe. See, unbelief is all about having it proven before I believe. Belief, faith is believing first and then having it proven, which is why the rabbi wrote to me also about a video that he claims, that he sent to me claims, that really was promoting that Jesus is not God. And he used the word proof, the rabbi used the word proof, which I've heard many times. He writes this, Tom, my dear friend, let's not invent the wheel. Listen to the video. Every, capital every, every single proof was rock solid. Throw me something to challenge any of it. Okay, unbelief relies on proof or seeing before believing. 
Faith relies on believing, but we're seeing it all comes down to who makes the first move. Who makes the first move? Is it gonna be God with proof as seeing before believing, or is it gonna be man who makes the first move with believing before seeing the proof? And that's what people were doing in verse 58. They were waiting to see, and when they would see, then they would believe. That's what unbelief is, see and believe. And this is seen, this unbelief of see and believe is seen at the cross, at the cross in Mark 15, 29, Mark 15, 29, where it says, Mark 15, 29, says, they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads, saying, ah, thou that destroyest the temple and builds it in three days, save thyself, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. The mockers said these words. They said, this is this part, in Mark 15, 32, Mark 15, 32. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And God says, no, I'm not playing that unbelief game of see and believe. I'm playing the faith game of believe and see. Now that was a John 11:40. John 11:40. If thou wouldst believe, thou shalt see the glory of God. Believe and see is the game that God plays. And this is what he was saying to Moses in Exodus 3:14. I will be what I will be. In other words, I will be what I will be according to your faith. According to your faith. And you will see me to be what you believe me to be. This is what God said. It was saying in Psalm 81.14, when 81.14, which we saw, I should have soon subdued their enemies, turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, and their time should endure forever. I should have fed them with the, oh, the finest of wheat, the honey out of the rock, satisfied thee. See, God was saying, if you would have obeyed me, if you would have believed me to be stronger than your enemies, you would have seen me conquer your enemies. In Psalm 81, 14, Psalm 81, 14. Now Psalm 81, 16, Psalm 81, 16. If you would have obeyed me, if you would have believed me, I, I should have been such a provider for you. I would have given you the finest of wheat. You would have seen a rock produce honey for you. But the tragedy was, which goes back to verse 58, it was Psalm 81, 11. My people would not hearken to my voice. Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened to me. Israel had walked in my ways. So that's verse 58. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Or put another word, put another way, I became for them what I became, which was a person who did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I really wanted to become what I wanted to become, which is a God that did mighty works, if only they would have believed. So all of this is to say that this was the context of what was happening as we come into chapter 14 with these words at that time. What time? A time of frustration, a time of limiting unbelief. And now comes the, the, uh, the death of John the Baptist. So we read now, first of all, Herod the Tetrarch. Very important, Herod the Tetrarch, the title. Many, many Herods. You know, you don't know the players without a program, so there's Herod the Great. He's not the same person as Herod the Tetrarch. He's not the same person as Herod Antipas. Herod the Great is the Herod who murdered all the babies from two years old under in Bethlehem when he tried to kill the Lord Jesus as a toddler. 
Herod the Great was murderous, he was cruel, he was competent in his uh, evil, he was licentious. Herod the Great has a son who's not as competent, but he's still murderous, is not quite as murderous as his father. He wasn't a really great ruler, and Rome saw that. Therefore, they divided up this region into four parts, and this one becomes known as Herod the Tetrarch because he's got one-fourth. He's got a brother named Philip. He is really a shlemiel. He doesn't do anything, so he, he's just married to Herodias, and Philip and Herodias have a daughter named Salome. And so Herod the Tetrarch ends up taking from Philip his wife, Herodias, to become um, Herod the Tetrarch's wife. And Salome is the young girl, probably around 17 years old, who in our account here is the enticing dancer. So that's the background here. So our history opens up with this Herod family, which is a family full of murder, of sexual immorality. And this is a history of, with bloody graphic details about the murder of John the Baptist. And we see that Herod starts off here and he's heard of the fame of Jesus. He's heard of the fame of Jesus, says, and he, he's never seen Jesus. He wants to, he really wants to, but at this point, he hasn't seen him. He's gonna get his chance later. He's gonna get his chance and it'd be a very strange encounter in Luke 23.8, Luke 23.8, where it says, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad for he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard so many things of him and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. And then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. So when, when Herod finally gets his chance face to face with the Lord Jesus, he asks the Lord Jesus many questions and the Lord Jesus has nothing to say to Herod. As a matter of fact, when the Lord Jesus does speak of Herod, he speaks in Luke 13, 31, Luke 13, 31, the same day there came certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, get thee out and depart hence. Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, go ye and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out devils. So the Lord called Herod a fox. Well, Herod hears now about the Lord Jesus and Herod says to his servants in Luke 9, 9, Luke 9, 9, Herod said, John, have I beheaded? But now in our verse, which is Matthew 14, 2, Matthew 14, 2, he said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist. That's what Herod says, I know it, it's John the Baptist, he's risen from the dead, therefore mighty works to show forth themselves in him. So Herod has done what he could to silence John the Baptist. He killed the body, he beheaded him. And so now the words of John the Baptist that so upset him from the tongue of John the Baptist, that stopped. As a matter of fact, it was a common practice when the people would behead somebody, they'd pull the tongue out of the, the head and stick a needle through it so as, as a statement of, I'm never gonna hear this person again. Well, Herod has silenced the tongue of John the Baptist from speaking the words, but the words of John the Baptist are not silent because they keep speaking in Herod's conscience, in his memory, and he's tormented by this memory of the words of John the Baptist that keep resounding in his ears. And so, and that's why he says, oh, John the Baptist is back, he's risen from the dead. Now, that scene of, okay, stop the words of, from the head of John the Baptist by cutting his head off, but the words keep coming back, that's a picture of the word of God. That's a picture of the word of God. A person can silence another person so that he no longer has to hear God's words, but he can't silence his conscience and his memory that keep on bringing back God's words to him, just like Herod, and this is what God said about the prophets who spoke the word of God. 
Jesus said that John was more than a prophet. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.